Chapter Three of the House of the Whispering Pines by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Open. Prince, bring forth the parties of suspicion. Friar, I am the greatest, as the time and place doth make against me of this direful murder, and here I stand both to impeach and purge myself condemned and myself excused romeo and juliet i have mentioned poison as my first thought it was a natural one the result undoubtedly of having noticed two small cordial glasses standing on a little table over against the fireplace when i was conscious again of my own fears i crossed to the table and peered into these glasses they were both empty however they had not been so long in each i found traces of anisette cordial and though no bottle stood near i was very confident that it could readily be found somewhere in the room what had preceded and followed the drinking of this cordial as i raised my head from bending over these glasses no club glasses by the way i caught sight of my face in the mantel mirror it gave me maddening thoughts in this same mirror there had been reflected but a little while before two other faces for a sight of whose impression at that fatal moment i would gladly risk my soul how had she looked how that other would not the story of those awful those irrevocable moments be plain to my eye if the quickly responsive glass could but retain the impressions it receives and give back at need what had once informed its surface with moving life i stared at the senseless glass appealing to it with unreasoning frenzy as to something which could give up its secret if it would but only to meet my own features in every guise of fury and despair features i no longer knew features which insensibly increased my horror till i tore myself wildly from the spot and cast about for further clues to enlightenment before yielding to the conviction which was making a turmoil in mind heart and conscience alas there was but little more to see a pair of curling irons lay on the hearth but i had no sooner lifted them than i dropped them with a shudder of unspeakable loathing only to start at the noise they made in striking the tiles for it was the self-same noise i had heard when listening from below these tongs set up against the side of the fireplace had been jarred down by the forcible shutting of the large front door and no man other than myself was in the house or had been in the house only the two women but the time when this discovery would have brought comfort was past better a hundred times that a man I had almost said any man should have been with them here than that they should be closeted together in a spot so secluded with rancour and cause for complaint in one heart and a biting deadly flame in the other which once reaching up must from its very nature leave behind it a corrosive impress i saw i felt but i did not desist from my investigations a stick or two still smouldered on the hearthstone in the ashes lay some scattered fragments of paper which crumbled at my touch on the floor in front i espied only a stray hairpin 
Everything else was in place throughout the room, except the cushions and that horror on the lounge, waiting the second look I had so far refrained from giving it. That look I could no longer withhold. I must know the depth of the gulf over which I hung. I must not wrong with the thought one who had smiled upon me like an angel of light, a young girl, too, with the dew of innocence on her beauty to every eye but mine, and only not to mine within, shall I say, ten awful minutes. It seemed ages, all of my life and more. Yet that lovely breast had heaved not so many times since I looked upon her as a deified mortal, and now two small spots on another woman's pulseless throat had drawn a veil of blood over that beauty, and given to a child the attributes of a medusa. Yet hope was not quite stilled. I would look again and perhaps discover that my own eyes had been at fault, that there were no marks, or, if marks, not just the ones my fancy had painted there turning i let my glance fall first on the feet i had not noted them before and i was startled to see that the arctics in which they were clad were filled all around with snow she had walked then as the other was walking now she who detested every effort and was of such delicate make that exertion of unusual kind could not readily be associated with her had she come alone or in Carmel's company, and if in Carmel's company, on what ostensible errand if not that of death? Her dress, which was of dark wool, showed that she had changed her garments for this trip. I had seen her at dinner, and this was not the gown she had worn then, the gown in which she had confronted me during those few intolerable minutes when I could not meet her eyes. Fatal cowardice! a moment of realization then and we might all have been saved this horror of sin and death and shameful retribution and yet who knows not understanding what i saw how could i measure the might-have-beens i would proceed with my task note if she wore the diamond brooch i had given her no she was without ornament i had never seen her so plainly clad might i draw a hope from this even the pins which had fallen from her hair were such as she wore when least adorned. Nothing spoke of the dinner-party or her having been dragged here unaware, but all of previous intent and premeditation. Surely hope was getting uppermost. If I had dreamt the marks! But no, there they were, unmistakable and damning, just when the breath struggles up. I put my own thumbs on these two dark spots to see if, when, what was it, a lightning stroke or a call of fate, which one must answer while sense remains. I felt my head pulled around by some unseen force from behind, and met staring into mine through the glass of the window a pair of burning eyes. Or was it fantasy? For in another moment they were gone, nor was i in the condition just then to dissociate the real from the unreal but the possibility of a person having seen me in this position before the dead was enough to startle me to my feet and though in another instant i became convinced that i had been the victim of hallucination i nevertheless made haste to cross to the window and take a look through its dismal panes 
a gale of blinding snow was swept past making all things indistinguishable but the absence of balcony outside was reassuring and i stepped hastily back asking myself for the first time what i should do and where i should go now to ensure myself from being called as a witness to the awful occurrence which had just taken place in this house should i go home and by some sort of subterfuge now unthought of try to deceive my servants as to the time of my return or attempt to create an alibi elsewhere something i must do to save myself the anguish and calm the danger of my testimony in this matter she must never know the world must never know that i had seen her here i had lost at a blow everything that gives zest or meaning to life but i might still be spared the bottommost depth of misery be saved the utterance of the word which would sink that erring but delicate soul into the hell yawning beneath her it was my one thought now though i knew that the woman who had fallen victim to her childish hate had loved me deeply and was well worth my avenging i could not be the death of two women the loss of one weighed heavily enough upon my conscience i would fly the place i would leave this ghastly find to tell its own story the night was stormy the hour late the spot a remote one and the road to it but little used i could easily escape and when the morrow came but it was the present i must think of now this hour this moment how came i to stay so long in feverish haste i began to throw the pillows back over the quiet limbs the accusing face shudderingly i hid those eyes i understood their strange protuberance now and recklessly bent on flight was halfway across the floor when my feet were stayed i wonder that my reason was not unseated by a sudden and tremendous attack on the great door below mingled with loud cries to open which ran thundering through the house calling up innumerable echoes from its dead and hidden corners it was the police the wild night the biting storm had been of no avail an alarm had reached headquarters and all hope of escape on my part was at an end yet because at such crisis instinct rises superior to reason i blew out the candle and softly made my way into the hall i had remembered a window opening over a shed at the head of the kitchen staircase i could reach it from this rear hall by just a turn or two and once on that shed a short leap would land me on the ground after which i could easily trust the storm to conceal my flight across the open golf links it was worth trying at least anything was better than being found in the house with my murdered betrothed i had no reason to think i was being sought or that my presence in this building was even suspected it might well be that the police were even ignorant of the tragedy awaiting them across the threshold of the door they seemed intent on battering down the gleam of a candle burning in this closed-up house or even the tale told by the rising smoke may have drawn them from the road to investigate such coincidences had been such untoward happenings had misled people into useless self-betrayal my case was too desperate for such weakness flight at this moment might save all i would at least attempt it the door was shaking on its hinges these intruders seemed determined to enter 
with a spring i reached the window by which i hoped to escape and quickly raised it a torrent of snow swept in covering my face and breast in a moment it did something more it cleared my brain and i remembered my poor horse standing in this blinding gale under cover of the snow-packed pines every one knew my horse i could commit no greater folly than to flee by the rear fields while such a witness to my presence remained in full view in front with the sensation of a trapped animal i reclosed the window and cast about for a safe corner where i could lie concealed until i learned what had brought these men here and how much i really had to fear from their presence i had but little time in which to choose the door below had just given way and a party of at least three men were already stamping their feet free from the snow in the hall i did not like the tone of their voices it was too low and steady to suit me i had rather have heard drunken cries or a burst of wild hilarity than these stern and purposeful whispers men of resolution could have but one errand here my doom was closing round me i could only put off the fatal moment but it was better to do this than to plunge headlong into the unknown fate awaiting me i knew of a possible place of concealment it was in the ballroom not far from where i stood i remembered the spot well it was at the top of a little staircase leading to the musicians gallery a balustrade guarded this gallery supported by a boarding white enough to hide a man lying behind it at his full length if the search i was endeavouring to evade was not minute enough to lead them to look behind this boarding it would offer me the double advantage of concealment and an unobstructed view of what went on in the hall through the main doorway opening directly opposite i could reach this ballroom and its terminal gallery without going around to this door a smaller one communicated directly with the corridor in which i was then lurking and towards this i now made my way with all the precautions suggested by my desperate situation no man ever moved more lightly the shoes which i had taken off in the lower hall were yet in my hand i had caught them up after replacing the cushions on adelaide's body even to my own straining ears i made no perceptible sound i reached the balcony and stretched myself out at full length behind the boarding before the men below had left the lower floor an interval of hard torture and wearing suspense now followed they were ransacking the rooms below by the aid of their own lanterns as i could tell from their assured manner that they had not made at once for the scene of crime brought me some small sense of comfort but not much they were too resolute in their movements and much too thorough and methodical in their search for me to dream of their confining their investigations to the first floor unless i very much mistook their purpose i should soon hear them ascending the stairs after which instinct if not the faint smell of smoke still lingering in the air would lead them to the room where my poor adelaide lay and thus it proved more quickly than i expected the total darkness in which i lay brightened under an advancing lantern and i heard the steps of two men coming down the hall it was a steady if not rapid approach 
and I was quite prepared for their presence when they finally reached the doorway opposite and stopped to look in what must have appeared to them a vast and empty space. They were officials, true enough. One hasty glance through the balustrade assured me of that. I even knew one of them by name. He was a sergeant of police and a highly trustworthy man. But how they had been drawn to this place at a moment so critical, I could not surmise. Do men of this stamp send crime as a hound sends out prey? They had the look of hounds. Even in the momentary glimpse I got of them, I noted the sense and expectant look with which they endeavoured to pierce the dim spaces between us. The chase was on. It was something more than curiosity or a chance exercise of their duty which had brought them here, and if the sight of the low gallery in which I lay should suggest to them all its possibilities as a hiding-place, I should know in just one moment more what it is for the helpless quarry to feel the clutch of the captor. But the moment passed without any attempt at approach on their part, and when I lifted my head again it was to catch a glimpse of their side-faces, as they turned to look elsewhere for what they were plainly in search of. An oath, muffled but stern, which was the first word above a whisper that I had heard issue from their lips, told me that they had reached the room, and had come upon the horror which lay there. What would they say to it? Would they know who she was, her name, her quality, her story, and respect her dead, as they certainly must have respected her living? I listened, but caught only a low murmur as they conferred together. I imagined their movements, saw them in my mind's eye leaning over that death-tenanted couch, pointing with accusing finger at the two dark marks, and consulting each other with sidelong looks, as they passed from one detail of her appearance to another. I even imagined them crossing the floor and lifting the two cordial glasses, just as I had done, and then slowly setting them down again, with perhaps a lift of the brows, or a suggestive shake of the head, and maddened by my own intolerable position, drawn by a power I felt it impossible to resist, I crept to my feet and took my staggering way down the half-dozen steps of the gallery, and thence along by the left-hand wall, towards the further doorway, and through it to where these men stood weighing the chances in which my life and honour were involved, and those of one other of whom I dared not think, and would not have these men think for all that was left me of hope and happiness. It was dark in the ballroom, and it was only a little less so in the corridor. All the light was in that room, but I still slid along the wall like a thief, with eyes set and ears agape, for any chance word which might reach me. Suddenly I heard one. It was this uttered with a decision which had the strange effect of lifting my head and making a man of me again. That settles it. He will find it hard to escape after this. He? I had been dreading to hear she. Yet why, who on God's earth, save myself, could know that Carmel had been within these woeful walls to-night? He? I never stopped to question who was meant by this definite pronoun. I was not even conscious of caring very much. I was in a coil of threatening troubles, 
but I was in it alone, and greatly relieved by the discovery I drew myself up and stepped quickly forward into the room where the two officials stood. Their faces, as they wheeled sharply about and took in my shoeless and more or less dishevelled figure, told me with an eloquence which made my heart sink the unfortunate impression which my presence made upon them. It was but a fleeting look, for these men were both by nature and training easy masters of themselves, but its language was unmistakable, and I knew that if I were to hold my own with them, I must get all of the support I could from the truth, save where it would involve her, from the truth and my own consciousness of innocence, if I had any such consciousness. I was not sure that I had, for my falseness had precipitated this tragedy. How I might never know, but a knowledge of the how was not necessary to my self-condemnation. Nevertheless, my hands were clean of this murder, and allowing the surety of this fact to take a foremost place in my mind, I faced these men, and with a real feeling, but as little display of it as possible, I observed, "'You have come to my aid in a critical moment. This is my betrothed wife.' the woman i was to marry and i find her lying here dead in this closed and lonely house what does it mean i know no more than you do End of chapter three